Matt, you've got a really nice uh, you've got a really nice background. Don't you love it? I'm floating in space. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Printavo Printhouse's podcast. I'm your host Bruce from Printavo. We've got our co-host Stephen Farragut at Campus Inc. and a very special guest, one of our own actually, Mr. Matt Marcotte out of Marcotte.inc. What's up? Actually, do you have that domain or is it just your Instagram handle? I've got that domain. I also have screenprintnerd.com, which redirects. Hey, to Matt, it. why did you pick Marcotte.inc as a website? Uh, there was this really awesome shop that I knew that had this .inc thing. Um, you might like them. I don't know. The guy that runs it was a little iffy, but I just really love that .inc uh, <laughs> ending. I was like, I think I'm going to go with this. So I just went for it. I, I think I did text him and make sure that he was okay with me kind of ripping his style a little bit. And I did get approval before going forward with it. I think that's how that went. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. I'm going to have to get Bruce Dotting before somebody grabs it. Let me go viral you know, quickly. Wait, how uh, do, does anybody go to your website, Stephen, and type in Campus Inc.? Like Hold on, Bruce Dot Inc. is $329 a year. Oh, yeah. No, I'm good. Anyone into it? it? No. <laughs> is that what Dot Inc. domains cost? Or is that well, just somebody Bruce, owns Bruce. it? Bruce Inc. I mean, somebody Bruce knew you were Inc. next in line. They, they just got ahead of it for you, Bruce. They wanted mm. to sell it to you later on. No, it, mine was super You know, cheap. somebody, uh, somebody actually, when we launched Printavo Merch, somebody bought printavomerch.com. And my initial, it, like, I was like, oh, shoot. It was oh, a competitor. Oh, wait, I bought it. No, 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 you no, did it. no, no, no. It, I, I know who it was, but it wasn't malicious. They, they just like grabbed it. They actually gave it. They were like, here, like you should have this. Um, I just grabbed it. And then I was like, oh, thanks so much. Was it shopper? But <laughs> I did think it was a competitor for a while. And I was like, shoot, I, why didn't I, I mean, that's your mistake. Like if you don't buy the domain to something that you launched, that is on me. 100%. I, I can't get pissed off about anybody else. I made the mistake, so um, I, I bought ScreenPrintNerd.com, and I was looking at PrintNerd.com, and it was a little more than I wanted to spend, but I was like, I'm still going to go for it. But I made the mistake of telling one person, and I know who I told, and literally the next day, it was gone. So I haven't, I haven't gone attacking really? that person yet, but I know exactly who it was, and they do work for a graphic company, so I know exactly who stole it. And they're, they're sitting on it, too. It went from like 500 bucks a year to like three grand just to buy it, and then like 800 a year. I was like, you son of a... But domain names don't matter as much. I agree. No, you do create the you do create the brand around it, but there is some SEO value to having what you're talking about in the domain name. Right. And that's why we that's why I landed on Printavo earlier. It was just like, oh, something print I think could give a little bit of SEO juice, you know, to people searching. So it's Printavo, not Prontavo and Prantivo. Pretty funny how you get. Well, actually, I got Print Taco the other day. But we're, but we're running with Print Taco. We got plans for. We have big plans for Print <laughs> we Taco. We got big plans. Big Long Beach plans. Print Taco Whenever Tuesday. It's gonna happen. I like Print Taco. That's a good one. I do one. too. Mm-hmm. We're gonna That's need some teas for sure. I know a guy. Yeah, and some make, really good tacos. We can make some teas. Um, Matt, we actually brought you on because we wanted to talk about production. I see so many questions constantly about hiring production staff, production managers, press operators, uh, training for the roles. You know, you've worked in a lot of different shops. You've, you've worked on the sales end. You've worked on the production side. I mean, actually, first, can you just give a little bit of background for everybody who doesn't know you or your history? Uh, yeah, started screen printing when I was 12, uh, just making my own 
my own really yeah yeah um, wow so started off with uh taking taking screens and um mixing bleach with some catalysts that made it thicker and then printing with like a a, a, a goopy <laughs> bleach onto shirts uh and then heating them up i was making screens in the sun uh i ruined my parents bathtub with uh old gunked up emulsion um they hated that uh my, my bedroom chemicals my, into the bathtub yep at my bedroom i had tinfoil over the window so no light could come in so i had safe lights in there so my my bedroom was a dark room um so i did you're a weird kid i was Wait, what uh, triggered this at 12 what, uh, was it you wanted to make teas or yeah honestly i was like into like i was a typical 12 year old in the late 90s you were either really into annoying pop or you're really into terrible metal and i was the terrible metal kid um and so a lot of my friends they had like cool band tees and my families couldn't afford to go to hot topic and buy me a 35 dollars t-shirt for no reason what they shouldn't have so i just started making my own so literally was making like band ripoff tees with like bleach and stuff and then getting into like basic basic <laughs> acrylic ink i was getting from blick art supply and started from there uh in college really dove deep into printmaking um they had a phenomenal uh fine art printmaking uh course i ended up taking six semesters of printmaking um and then my focus was on instructional design so I, in college, kind of like, okay, I want to do screen printing, and I also want to teach people how to, how to do things, mostly screen printing. So literally went to school for teaching screen printing. Um, got, got, I know, uh, weird. Uh, got out, got a job right away working for a big company uh, outside of Chicago. Um, started off in customer service. Uh, I was told I was overqualified. It's like, so I got the job then, right? And he's like, yeah. Um, within six months, went from customer service to uh, production coordinator. And then within a year total was production manager. Uh, and after this, is that a shop in Chicago or is it just a gen like another manufacturing big shop, company? eight autos, six manuals, uh, about 30, some heads of embroidery, um, okay. running two shifts. So, uh, within the first year, I went from jumping into a shop to, uh, having anywhere from 70 to 130 employees underneath me, depending on what season it was. Um, wow. wow. What was that like? Because you know what's interesting? <laughs> because that transition is what I see a lot of shops say, maybe we can push somebody into this role who has the right experience or has been doing it. I don't see it work too well a lot of times um, for a variety of reasons, but like, what, what was that like for you and what you learned from that to, to maybe help other people take some tidbits from it to, yeah. to you know, using their it, shop. It, I was, I was thrown to the wolves. Um, there was a, an opportunity, the production manager that was there before I still talk to this day. He's a phenomenal human being, um, made some mistakes. And unfortunately I was just the young hotshot who knew the answers. And I think I kind of ousted him from his job unintentionally. We're still on good terms all as well. Uh, but then I was kind of resented by the rest of the production staff. Uh, a lot of them, um, immediately didn't speak English all of a sudden. Like, what, what just happened? They were kind of like, well, okay, well, screw this new guy. So I had two options, either just sit there, get upset, cry about it, and fail, or figure it out. So I did that. I figured it out. I sat there. Uh, I was honestly doing 80, 90-hour weeks, um, having to figure it out, having to figure out, okay, how do I get them to listen? How do I get them to um, at least know that I'm not, I didn't try to take the guy's job. I happen to be here. I'm in the seat, but I want to succeed with them. So it was a lot of me at first going out and trying to get in the trenches with them. It's how, how can you lead if no one expects that you even know how to lead, if you've never done those jobs before. Now I had been printing for a long time. I had only clocked 
maybe an hour and a half, two hours on a really beat up Lawson automatic that a buddy of mine had down at, down at my school. Um, so I had no automatic experience, but I had a ton of manual experience and I had a ton of, ton of high detail, fine art screen printing experience and a lot of ways to achieve things looking outside of the box. So first thing I did was, okay, I gotta learn more about these presses. I gotta, I gotta actually get better with the equipment. So put myself through some maintenance training courses at uh, M&R, because we were an M&R shop, it was nearby. Um, so learned how to maintain the presses, do that. So I started off by saying, okay, uh, Friday when they all leave it for night, I'm gonna spend the next five, six hours and I'm gonna start maintaining the presses. So when they come in on Monday so Matt, morning, they are like, oh, what just happened? Matt, something that you brought up that I think maybe was like overlooked is, and maybe this is a misconception or maybe myth, fact, fiction, just because you're the best screen printer in a shop, does that make you qualified to be the production manager? Hell no. Absolutely not. Or can you groom somebody to be in that role? Or, or is it like you're just interviewing like you're fresh, you know? I, I think... Right, like... I think... Because this is where I mess this up, and that's why... It, it all comes down to aptitude, in my, in my opinion, in my experience. Um, now, I don't have, like, the world's best aptitude, but I got a decent one, right? So what I didn't know didn't scare me. It only challenged me to learn it, right? I think anybody that goes into any management position, um, or even if you're trying to hire somebody, it's less important about the skill and more important about the aptitude, right? So can they learn new things? Will they learn new things? And what is their eagerness to do so, right? I looked at that opportunity and said, okay, I got thrown to the wolves. I'm going to get eaten or I'm going to make them actually bring me into their pack. And that was a challenge. It was an opportunity. It wasn't something that I was like up against or something that I was up for. Right. So I really just made sure to look at it in an, op in an opportunity perspective and figure out, okay, what are the first things that I can do? What do I feel they probably don't like about me? Well, a lot of them don't even know me. I'm newer. I was the guy in customer service that quickly rose to the ranks. And I took a job that, from a guy that was there for like 12 years. What do I do? Well, get down in the trenches first. Um, but to answer your question, Stephen, I think it, it all just comes down to someone's drive. And you, you can see that usually, right? You can see if someone like, they might make mistakes. They might not know things, but they go, oh, okay, I, I understand. Well, how about this? You can kind of see the, the, the wheels turning in their heads. Those are the kind of right. people that I've always liked to hire more. If I had a guy who walked in and said, I got 20 years screen print experience, but he was kind of gruff and hard to talk to. And I had someone that walked in and was like, screen printing's awesome. I don't know much about this, but I dig it. Can I start working here? I'm gonna probably wanna go with the one that is less gruff, has less experience, because I can, I can take that optimism and excitement, and I can really use sure. it to help culture, one, and then help actually train them to be what they need to be, not what the veteran might have thought he was supposed to be. Right. Now, that being said, I've hired plenty of vets that, are, that have been doing it for a long time, and I've learned immensely from those people. So it's not like, hey, don't, don't hire those guys, but it all depends. If they came in with aptitude and knowledge and were eagerness to continue to learn new things, of course I'd go with the guy's experience then. Right. S Steve, I are you able to say what you were thinking going through that process of that promotion and like how, how you were trying to make it work? Or maybe looking back to be like, here's where I goofed up or I should have yeah, done something different. I took, I took one of our best printers and instantly thought they could be a manager. Right. And so if you think about what makes a printer an amazing printer, it might be that they 
don't talk to a lot of people and work really hard. It might be that they're very neat and tidy. It might be that they're not analytical and they're just, you know, they, they like putting their head down and, and getting things done. And, 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 you know, they like coming in early and getting their work done and being proud of it. And for some reason, I had this perception that everyone wants to be a manager. Everyone is, you know, if they've, if they've mastered their craft, they can be a manager. Um, and I quickly realized that when I started introducing the management style of things, scheduling, analytics, profit, um, you know, efficiency, those were, it was like speaking a different language. Um, yeah. and a different role and a, and a completely different role. And so, um, you know, as, as Matt knows in our, you know, our new general manager is not from the printing industry whatsoever, which has its own challenges from a skill transfer point on printing, but from a management standpoint, you're taking those skills and then you're, you're backing in the printing. And I think like shops listening to this probably don't have eight autos right now and are dealing with that problem of hiring production manager. I'm betting it's a shop that is an owner operator that's probably there every single day. They probably have one or two autos and they are just trying to find that one person that can lead the pack so that they don't have to put out every fire. Right. Um, and it's like that liberating thing. I feel like it's like, that's where owners are stuck. Right. Um, and so, you know, how do you like, at what point do you say like, you are qualified or not qualified for this? Like, should you start interviewing? Should you find other production managers at other shops? Like, if I'm a shop and I realize I need a production manager, what do I do now? Uh, I think you put an ad out for that and you make sure that before the ad goes public, you tell your downline. You tell everybody at the company, hey, this is, this is what the needs are. This is why I have the need. This is what I'm looking for and who I'm looking for. And I'm going to be looking externally for that. But if anybody in the building would like to apply for the position, I would love to sit down and hear you out. I'm not going to promise it's going to go to anybody here. I want to find the best person to help lead all of us towards success. And be open and honest. I think the worst thing to do is put an ad out there and then have an employee have to come roundabout to find out about it. Because then it feels like the, oh, what the hell? They don't think I'm capable of this? They'd much rather have it brought to them have a sit down conversation that you can say, if it's your employee, you're going to know like, Hey, you're, you're really good at like keeping your head down, working hard, working fast, but I don't really see you like turning around and asking the other press, like, how is your schedule going? How are things going? So if I'm looking for a manager and someone that can actually work with the people to help get everything done and moving forward. And I haven't quite seen that out of you. Is that something you really think you could do? Do you think you'd be able to put the extra hours in if we need to have overtime, if we need to have weekend work? Are you willing to go to a salaried position and have to do those kinds of things? And you can kind of like watch them kind of like scare themselves out of the running, or you can watch them kind of be like, actually, yeah, I do want to take on more responsibility. I do want to be more for the company. I want to be able to grow with this company. And you're going to kind of see that body language and their tonal shift a bit kind of lend it in there. And if it, it lends like, Hey, I kind of want to do this, then cool. Let's go ahead and take a couple days. I'm going to pull you off of press. Maybe we're going to give you, um, 40% of your schedule that you still have to get done. The rest of the time I want, I want to see you help everything else get done quicker and we'll see how this goes for a week. And if it goes well for a week, maybe I'll, I will, I'll take that job posting down. But in the meantime, hmm. I'm still going to interview other folks, give them the opportunity to, um, qualify themselves or devalue themselves for that position. 
And that way, if you bring somebody in and they're like, hey, look, you were great. It just wasn't quite what we're looking for. They're probably going to go, yeah, no, I agree. That makes sense. And they're not going to be as But, but you, know, you know what's really big, though? I think we don't create a black and white version of what we're exactly looking for either. Right. As far as expectations, whether it's – it may not just be like KPI type. Like sales or something, it's a lot easier, right? But, but I mean, we personally at um, Printavo, when, when we have a role that's more of a manager, we do create a job description. Even if somebody could potentially move into that, we create a job description, and I try to unbiasedly interview them as if it was that person. And interview some others as well to compare and contrast. But similarly right. to what you're saying, Matt, too, is um, you, because they, I mean, in all fairness, like they don't have an expect, they, they sort of, a lot of people do think that, yeah, I got to move to the next step. I got to keep growing. And you don't have to do that. And it may just not be the right fit. It's that whole traction stuff, right? Right person, right seat. Bruce has got two chapters left. I think I'm done. Um, <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> um, any, Bruce, I think you brought up, like I was going to say, like at Printavo, you guys now have 20 plus employees and something you were, I would always, we would talk and you're very conscious about is making sure there was a job description and letting the person apply for it. I know like you use like outside HR, like outside interviewers to like do that. Can you tell us like what that process, like say there was a, a role that, you know, came in and, 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 you know, your thought process is I don't want to exclude anyone, but I want to be unbiased about it. Yeah. How do you do that? And I know like Wendy's whatever, but tell us about that. We, we do two things that I think works fairly well. One is it's and it's a little bit harder to, to do this the first time around. So if you've never hired, for example, a production manager or just a departmental manager, it's really actually hard to not only hire the right person, but like to 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 make them successful too. So I think there is an expectation that you're probably gonna mess this up anyway, the first few tries of getting into it. But but we would always I'd sit down for it's a good hour or two and just create that detailed description of what I need this person to do. And not like this, this sort of cliche, I, I need communication. And you know, it's like, what is this person doing day to day that will help us continue to grow? And what are the projects they are focused on? And how though, am I measuring success for those? So we were posting one for a recruiter and it was like, I have seven technical roles and four non-technical roles that we need to hire. That is success for you being able to achieve your role. Um, and and that way, the I can share that around with everybody to say, hey guys, if you're interested in a role, this is what, what we have posted, and then be able to start out look, looking outwards as well. I think what happens when you also start interviewing people outside and inside, and spend that time up front is you find this baseline of of like how good people are and it helps you determine oh shoot this person is actually an a player because you've interviewed 10 different people and you kind of understand what that middle is and you can either know they're either way below or they're way above and then picking that way above and trying to really go after them i think um you said something and me and matt both laughed uh, about the role what was it? No, because this is something like we're doing right now. Matt is, I'm, you know, for me, 
I need help with this. This is not easy. And so Matt is, is helping our shop out, was down in Champaign on Monday. Something we talked about was like, do we have a written role with everything I am looking for? The answer is no. Mm. Which is just, uh, you kind of dumbfounded me because I'm like, well, that would be a good Well, start. I mean, when you're moving fast, like you just, oh, wow, that's good. this guy would be great. Like, let's just keep running. I, right. I think the reality is, is that us as more business owners are comfortable running in this like plane where there's no walls, there's no directions, you know, and we can, we can overall head in the right direction, right? <laughs> or else we'd just be out of business. But I think 98% of people are not that way and they need like they need at least some sort of structure to say, Hey, here's the team. Here's how things work. Here's what we measure on. Here's what we need to go. And then the more senior they are, of course they can direct it, but the more junior they are, like I find it's almost like giving somebody just bike wheels and being like, all right, now let's go to the other end versus like, here's the bike. Let me show you how to pedal on it and, yeah. and steer and everything. But yeah, because you know what happens is, is also, we as the owner get frustrated because I said, and this has happened to me too. I said, well, I wanted them to do X, Y, Z. Why isn't this happening? Well, we also didn't say this is how you achieve X, Y, Z. And this is what I'm looking for. Like black and white. Here it is. Let's talk about it. Let's reinforce it every week. Uh, but, you know, it does feel like the natural growth of, of having like the, you know, managers in each role it's it's normal for ownership and like head managers to just have already adopted that and you guys are also a different breed of your own very uh like you said very used to like wide open planes just going forward and getting done what you got to get done but life has structure to it and success has structure to it when when you look at, at how both of you have success you've got metrics to those things so when you're looking at the business as a whole, as an entity, you're looking at certain metrics. So when you are training a new employee or training anybody that's, that's, a, that's any part of the, of the entity, you have to give them their own metrics. Now, they might not have the, the, the college degrees you guys have. They may not have the crazy brains that you guys have that can look at all these things. So you have to give them more individualized, customized metrics. And that includes with, okay, this is how we're checking to see that you're successful or not. And these are what we need to actually be putting up against those metrics to, to measure. So if you don't give them those things, they, they look at the boss, especially guys like you, and they want to be you. So you have to kind of start dribbling down little bits of information to help them start to educate themselves to get to that point where they can kind of have that overall view. They can, they can really be individual players of success for you. But if you just say, hey, this is great, and I've, I've, I've watched Steve give meetings. He's very passionate, and it's, he's really good at like getting him excited. But then what happens? What do they actually know? Do they know what they have to do every single day? Do they know what their, their duties are for all of Monday, all of Tuesday? Do they have metrics to which they can check their success and hold each other accountable for each other's success? And if you don't lay those you know things what out, it is? it's a little hard, you know? You know what it is, I think, going back to, because I think most people are in this situation where they're hiring the first manager, right? Uh, they're going from the manual to auto, or they're thinking about hiring the first manager. Maybe later this year, I need somebody to own this department, whether it's production or not, is, is almost thinking about if we were five years down the road, we were bigger, we're a 
you know, 100 person company, just something like way out there, right? What would they be doing that we could do today? And I always think about those things to help sort of leverage, you know, Gusto for one. Okay, so a bigger company obviously has payroll organized. Okay, let's get set up on on a really good payroll system now. Um, a bigger company has uh, systems in place to create like a good repeal. All right, let me document as much as possible and organize and training and all that stuff. But I, I think something you brought up, Bruce, is like, okay, so you act like the business. I've been told you act like the business you want to be, not the business you are. Okay, so like you start to, to see that. But also like getting help in areas that you're bad at. So like, for instance, um, Matt is helping us out. Um you know, Kevin Baumgart helping out our sales team, because I personally don't know how to do those things. And there are professionals out there that are extremely talented at that. And then they hold you accountable. Uh, we're working with their, um, her name's Chelsea, and she's an integrator. And essentially, she's helping us find administrative support in the company. And so uh, in part of our contract, she goes through the entire recruiting process, because I'm awful at that. And you know, it's easier to have someone be a non-biased recruiter, but then she also coaches me on how to make an SOP. Literally like, here's the template, Steven, write it out, make the loom video when you're done, like, you know, give it to this person. And I think it's just so true that if you were to get hired at any company that we call legit, they would hand you instructionals or tutorials or whatever that may be. And I think to shops out there, if you're bad at SOPs or if you're bad at sales management, or if you're bad at hiring production managers, find someone to help you do it and pay them because it's worth every penny. Um, because the cost of making a bad hire is like, I don't even, I, I couldn't quantify what that is. Um, but it's so much more worth finding like really, really great experts. Um, and your employees actually like it, I think. Yeah, if you bring I mean, somebody the ones that care. Yeah, if somebody that comes yeah. in and actually knows what they're doing and is good at their job, the employees are going to go, "Oh, okay, this is worth it." So, Stephen, you, you have having me come in and work with work with some folks. They see that the boss is saying, "You know what? Maybe this is not my strong suit. Let's bring somebody in to help build them up." So that is only going to be echoed across everybody to be like, "Oh, Stephen's actually trying to do everything he can to help us." So, anytime that you are openly trying to improve their success. And admitting out loud, hey, guys, this is not what I'm the best at. That shows that you're also humanizing yourself and saying, like, I'm not the know-it-all genius running the company. If I can do it, you can. You're saying, look, these are my strengths. These are not my strengths. These are your strengths. These are not your strengths. Let's figure out how to get everybody's strengths up and running to be the best we can be. Let's bring in some outside knowledge. Let's, let's work together as a team. Every team, you go to baseball teams, all that, they've got specialized coaches, football, there's, a, there's an offensive, there's a defensive. You don't have just the head coach teaching every single thing because that's not what they're good at, right? So same thing exactly like you said. Get somebody in who knows how to do these things to help build up what you're trying to achieve. And, and I think shops are scared of the dollar amount that it costs to bring professionals in, right? But if you think about like, let's just call it like $10,000 a year. How many hours is that for an employee, you know, uh, an employee making 10 bucks an hour, you know, that's, that's a half a year's whatever of what they're going to make. That's what you're paying to have experts on your team. Truthfully, like, and that's, that's kind of what I've looked at it is like, if I spend $10,000 a year 
on experts, that could be the best, you know, like dollar an hour, 50 cents an hour I spend because it's just making me so much stronger, like laterally. Um, and like, who's to say I know what I'm doing when it comes to HR or sales management or production management? Like, I'm, you know, we're only as good as what we put in front of us. And so I think just like being vulnerable and asking for help is something in the last like year or two, I've been so much more open to. Um, and then it kind of like liberates, you know, and I, I've no shops that have spent 20, 30, $40,000 and small shops too. And they say like, it was the best employee they ever could have brought in. Um, so if you need Matt Marcotte, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, I just, I just think, and even Bruce, like you guys too, like you guys have the HR, like depart, you know, like to do interviewing and stuff. Um, and you just like, you couldn't live without them now. Yeah, we, it, that's actually a good point. I forgot to talk about that. Um, we will have, <clears throat> we will have non-technical roles go through an outside person, BHRS partners, <clears throat> sorry, who's a company that will handle like recruiting and just basic HR questions and stuff, but they can also do interviews, which I have found to be super helpful because for whatever reason, people tell her a lot more than they will tell me. And she writes up this really great report and just says, this is the, you know, what I think there's a pros and cons. Here's where they're at. Here's what they're thinking about. It, it's it's very helpful to get that outside opinion on it, um, to, to just be able to balance out my thoughts around it too. I, I think like, what do you feel, Matt, are very specific though to print shops that people looking to bring on their first production manager or promote the first production manager? Like, what does that role look like? <clears throat> Gosh, what does that role look like for helping to create those expectations, like very specifically, you know, hey, this person on a day to day basis should be spending the first hour doing this or second hour doing that or, you know, what do you think? I think it depends on, on obviously the size of the shop. Um, but when I was the last shop I was running, I, I, when I was getting ready to leave, I was trying to like pedigree somebody to like take in, take over my position. And so the first thing I made sure they understand is that, look, it's just T-shirts. Do not let t-shirts cause you to have so much anxiety and, and, and tension where you're outwardly showing that. People look to leaders, and if a leader is grumpy and pissy, well, they're going to lead them downhill that day, not up one, right? So first of all, it's t-shirts. If mistakes are being made, use them as educational opportunities. Don't just start beating people up about those mistakes. So first thing is making sure they've got good stress management abilities optimistic, uh, always optimistic, right? I think I've even heard Steven say like one of the best features that, of him is that he's almost like unknowingly optimistic, um, which is true. He is almost unknowingly optimistic. It's, it's a good thing though. Um, but being able to- Not as much as Nick Wood. Nick Wood is the most optimistic person in the world. Nick Wood, if you're listening <laughs> to this, you're very optimistic. I, I can, I, yes, I would agree. He, and he would, he's borderline annoyingly optimistic. I do love Nick Wood though. We're, we're besties, love that guy. Um, so look, making sure you can handle the, the, the tension that comes into play. Making sure it's not somebody that is always the last one there and the first one to leave. That's also not management material, right? If someone is a straight clock puncher only, um, 
they're, they're not going to be the person for you. Um, so I always want to look for, okay, who's the first one to show up and who's the last one to leave? Who's the one that's asking the best questions, right? Who's the one that you kind of find is naturally able to look at a process and make it better? So in the past, when I was doing interviews for, for downlines, I would oftentimes show them a process, but I would intentionally break it back down a little bit less effectively and say, hey, here's a process. Can you let me know if you maybe do this for 10 minutes and let me know if you find a better way to go about it? Right. And if they'd start like turning their own wheels and go, well, does it have to be done like this? Is there a reason it's like this? Or can we, can we do it like this and start understanding, making evolutions, right? Evolving what you're doing. So forcing them to start yep. thinking in that mindset also is very helpful. So it all I like can... the project-based interview. Mm -hmm. Project-based interview is Bruce, you told me to do that and I haven't done a good enough job of it, but giving them a project to do and seeing how they deliver to you. How, how would you do that for this role for a production manager role? Yes, and play me. Tetris. I mean, that. either, either. I'm going to watch you play Tetris. And uh, based on that, I'll. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how would you do a project based role, Matt, if for a production manager? Like, how would you test for the, the different skills that you're looking for? Um, for that, I'd probably look at getting a job prepped. So I would look at, okay, this is what has to happen. Maybe start with this A job. So, hey, these four screens need to be taped. I'll show you how to tape a screen. They then need to be brought to the press. We need to get the inks and we need to get them over there. Here are all the items you can use, right? Then make sure to have like a rolling cart in there that can hold things, have everything that I would usually do. And then kind of sit back and watch them go. Like, are they going to use the rolling rack? Are they going to like walk all the inks over one by one, put them on the press? They're going to walk all the screens over awkwardly, clumsily tape them up and put them one by one. Or are they going to go, okay, this has wheels. These are all the things I need. Let's just put everything onto a cart and move it, right? natural ability to make things go from one to the other efficiently and effectively. You can't really train someone who's never been a production manager, how to be a production manager in that working interview, but you can give them the basics of, okay, do you understand that things are more efficient when they're moved together or are you going to waste more steps and more time? Right? So just starting off with the very basics building blocks of efficiency and how they trigger that. And maybe I'd really say like, there's no questions allowed. I'm going to stand here. It's okay. If you fail, I just want to see what you come up with. Right. And they, they're not going to do it perfectly, but you can kind of watch their wheels turn and figure out their own way of making a process out of something that they have to do. You really want people that are process driven in this position. So they never settle for what is, they always want what could be. What about analytical, like Excel computer skills? Like, do you, would you test for that at all? It really depends on the position. I honestly feel it's more of an operational position. Um, I would say it's an ops manager. I'd prefer to have a lot more of that analytic ability um, to implement with a production. But, but again, I challenge you, this is a shop that is trying to hire their first, probably production and ops manager. Yeah. Um, I would say that the same thing goes with aptitude and you find somebody who has the aptitude and is a, has the ability to think to be a production manager. If their strengths are not Excel and all this kind of stuff, you can, send them to classes. You can get on sure. uh, Lydia.com. You can get on all these things and you can let them know like, Hey, so I'm noticing that we need some things that you aren't doing. Do you know how to use Excel that well? It's okay. If you don't, why don't we schedule out that every Friday you're going to take a two hour online seminar and you're going to build that skill up um, and make it fun. 
bring them in. It, it is fun looking at numbers. It, it's crazy to think about that because I hated numbers when I was a kid, but it's fun to look at numbers. It's an actual metric of, okay, I went and did something. What does it actually look like quantified? So getting them excited about that and then giving them the tools. If they have the aptitude to be a good production manager, I feel they have the aptitude to also be able to dive into analytics and start breaking down the numbers, what they're doing and improve upon them. That's a it's good interesting. Point. There's so many different, you're right in that, right? It depends on the size of the shop. But for the first hire though, it is such a flexible role. It's almost like being, having that extreme optimism is very important, but also being able to, to kind of iterate and, and roll with the punches, but caring about process, right? Right. And, and being able to, to sort of, help the team create process. And if it's just one person that they're helping to manage or coach around, right? Being able, if there's an SOP that helps, or if there's just basic, honestly, this role should really feels like start helping create that documented workflow for an order, right? Put it on a wall somewhere of step-by-step, step, what is happening to the order as it, as it continues to, to flow. That makes everybody's life easier, but you know, are they capable of helping to write that? And shoot, actually, maybe that's not a bad uh, project to do together of like, let me show you how this job goes. Okay, I want you to try to document this as best as possible. Ask me any questions that you have. And see, maybe, maybe a test though is like, what questions do they come up with to see how inquisitive they are? That's, yeah. Right? Because if they're not curious and they're not trying to improve stuff or, hey, why do you do it this way, right? I mean, it should almost stump you to a point for somebody that's good to say, that's a really good question, actually. I think also looking at eagerness versus like an analytical mind, mm -hmm. right? Like in the questions that they ask, um, are they like smart questions? Are they questions where you're like, uh... I don't know if they should, that's, that's not a concern of ours, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think that's a really, 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 really good point. Maybe we could do more off of this. Um, I feel like we could go on so many different directions from the interviewing side to the training side, to the like role side. This might be our new thing, Bruce. <laughs> production, production manager Wednesdays. I, I just feel like shops, like, I think, it's so undervalued, but you know, it goes back to this whole thing of delegating really well. I think the ideal scenario is the shop owner doesn't have to think about this aspect and that's like the crown jewel, right? And it takes forever to get there and you may never, it's just like constantly changing and you, you're always going to have to step in and help, but like how? how can you set yourself up? So you're focusing on what you like, like, is it sales or is it for you guys, probably students and, and working with them and growing those campuses? I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about how to get to that, but it, it so much feels like starting with the right person that, that shows these skills and does have some sort of experience uh, of, of managing some sort of group or team, right. Or, you know, they've yeah. just been through it a little bit. There's also a lot of really, really good team management and people management workshops you can go to, and not with COVID right now, but I've been to lots of them. You can sign up and take your entire entire staff out to these little courses, and in those courses, you actually can witness who steps up to be the leader. 
a lot of times there are a lot of very basic like military training exercises, right? Like you only have these three things. How do you get from there to there? And you'll actually watch and see who naturally becomes a project leader, right? Who steps into that role going, hang on, hang on. We're, we're, we're making a mess here. Let's talk about this. And you can kind of watch in your own crew who steps into that position, take them out of the vacuum they're stuck in in your production shop and look at that in, in a whole new light. You can see who the natural leaders come forward to be. And those are now the ones you know you can look at to possibly grow out of the position in the company. Now, the other ones that didn't have that natural leading ability, it's not that they're not good at what they do, they're still very valuable to have in your shop. But these little things that you take them out and you see who becomes that role, you can now evolve that role too. And if nobody steps up and you end up being the one to do it, either you're not letting them do it or you don't have anybody who's a natural leader. And yes, that's when you absolutely need to look for somebody because you'll never be able to work on the business if you're continuously having to work in the business. I think the other thing too is letting go, right? So if you bring on a production manager, you're super stoked on them. And now you're micromanaging their every step and you're there every single day. It does not give them the autonomy to think for themselves, make mistakes for themselves, learn for themselves. And I think there's also this part of like on the shop owner of them not or like being afraid to let go. Um, like I have to physically leave, like not be present here for me to let go of production. Uh, which is, it's actually like sometimes it gives me like a lot of anxiety because you're like, whoa, wait, I should be there. And it's like, no, you like your production manager doesn't want you breathing down there. What business do you want to like, what boss do you want watching your every move? You know? Uh, so I think a lot of it is also on the owner of like actually letting go and coping with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of being blind to it a little bit. Like I'm like, I'm just going to turn my, turn my back a little bit. I don't know. It's nice. It, I agree. There's a fine line though. I think in, in your, in your, uh, story, it works perfectly. Uh, in, in my first big shop experience, I didn't have an owner breathing down my neck because the owner was just kind of not present. So I didn't gotcha. have the lifeline that I needed when I needed that lifeline. Uh, so it's, it's a fine line to be able to say, like, don't breathe down my neck, but be reachable when needed. Um, in my story, it may have worked better because I, I don't know if the owner actually knew the things I needed to find out anyway. So I just had to find it myself regardless. And clearly it worked. So I guess he did the right thing. Um, but I think absolutely people tend to, get to become control freaks, especially when they're the owner, because they own it. They made it. This is, it was a ball of clay they shaped into something. And now you got somebody that you're paying decent money for to go in and you're afraid they're going to mess it all up. But you have to let them make mistakes to learn how to clean them, their own mistakes up and build upon them. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. You need to be able to like pull yourself out of that a little bit. And I can't imagine how hard it must be. I've, I've watched you take that company from the small one it used to be to the awesome facility it's at now because of how entrenched you have been. But now again, you're at the next level where you have to pull back from that. Um, so yeah, I, had, I haven't thought about how hard it must be for you because I've witnessed it and you seem to be doing it with elegance. But it's funny to hear you say that it's hard and brings anxiety to like not be there nonstop. And I can definitely see why. Bruce, you talk about it's the baby. Like trusting trusting your people and not like when you when you when you hire people in that role and like giving them their expectations like does that frustrate you when you do you have to like catch yourself to not step in i have that with engineering because so your production is my like focus on product right your product is is an awesome decorated tea 
ours is the the software and um i i definitely feel like i watch it very closely i think that the problem that has is that i have is sometimes i'll see something that needs a quick improvement or i'll see a customer that needs something that's normally what triggers it and a customer will say oh can like this doesn't make sense or whatever and i'll be like oh okay let me just you know code it up real quick or whatever but what happens is is i think a it always takes longer than i anticipated to to actually get something done and out the door and done correctly right i'm sure it's like you know on your end of creating the, the actual workflow and the sop and the process or whatever or else you're just back in it again and then the other thing is is that is not the best time that i should be spending you know it, like me fixing this little currency symbol definitely helps that customer and 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 i want to be able to do as much as i can help but it does not help the business grow like it doesn't help enable the sales team it doesn't like we need more engineers it doesn't help find another engineer it just it, it almost in fact hurts the potential growth it, it does it does it hurts the potential growth of the business because if i spend time doing that i can't spend time doing this are so, you just saying that because i text you a feature i really want every day or is he saying that because i made him jump onto a phone call with me and a customer at like 5 30 last night <laughs> no because you, <laughs> you were on the facebook forum saying that's a really good idea <laughs> no i did it's because i was doing it for six years of just keep building, just, keep changing. We just changing, have one more feature we want, Bruce. Just, just, it'll just take you a couple <laughs> I, minutes. I, I would love to. You know what? The team though on that and that specific side is so much more talented than I am now. Like, w way more, like ten x more. That it's almost like what? What am I doing? Like, this is not. I'm so much more best spent. You know finding engineers and getting them pumped up about what we're building and getting them to the interview process. Cause that's, what's going to have the 10 X multiplier on us in, in a year or two, not, um, you know, but what about ACH? What you text me? What <laughs> ACH? No, I know Mike's Mike's been looking at that for a, for a later like Q1. You know, it's funny, like just getting into payment processing at the scale that we do, we processed, two and a half billion dollars in transactions um through printable and like that was payments. just campus Inc, right that was oh wow <laughs> merch <laughs> yeah but like adding ach in the mix you, you, there's just a lot of things that happen running at a scale like that that you have to really think through i can't just go in and start cutting like you have to actually measure I th a couple i think times. it's funny because like some shops will be like oh you 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 know you're printavo's biggest cheerleader like you know you always support them and on the back side i have like a just a th i have a slack channel called steven's great ideas that no one is a member <laughs> of um and i think i have a jot form that i made that would text you my ideas and uh i think half of your engineers maybe have to mute me because I send them too many ideas, but it's hard. It's hard to be able to, uh, <laughs> to it's a never ending. All. It's a never ending process. You know what it is for us? It's just prioritization. And I'm sure it's the same for shops. Like you only have so much time, right? So what are you prioritizing as the most important thing that gives you the most investment and return on your time or money spent? And sometimes we just really don't value our time. And that is probably the biggest problem that we have to transition i think when you get 
much better and I'm not there yet, but I think when you start to get much better at, at that delegating correctly and finding what am I spending time on that I shouldn't be that, you know, you, you start to get supercharged, but this is that's good. a whole nother topic. This is great. <laughs> this, is, this is an awesome conversation. We went down some, some crazy alleys. They're good though. They're good some super crazy alleys. This, this yeah. is good. And, and so like, so Matt's helping me along the way and maybe we could do a couple more to just document what we've been doing. Cause I think, Let's do it. Is, I think it'd be awesome. This is so relevant. And if there's shops out there that are struggling with the same thing, like shoot us a line, let us know. Um, we're all in it together for sure. Um, you know, I know these problems aren't, aren't just here or there or whatever. Yeah, there's no one way to do it. But mm -hmm. thanks for joining us, Matt, on the, the first episode of hiring and training your production team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Stoked, stoked to hang. <laughs> uh, good to hang out with you guys, talk shop. Uh, yeah, happy to be back anytime. Anybody has questions, too, they can also hit me up. I'm more than happy to, to lend any insight to anybody ever. Let's do it. Thanks, guys, for joining this episode of Printavo Pronesto's podcast. We will see you on the next one. Oh, 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 oh,